great. We're ending First uh, Peter and jumping right, Second uh, Peter rather, chapter one, and we're just going to grab a couple of points out of there and going right into First Peter chapter two. So that's where we'll be this morning in, in just a minute. In a moment, we'll go to God in prayer in just a moment. Let's pray together. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we we praise you and we love you and we're so thankful to you for this day, this this moment that we have in history to be able to come together and to read your word together, uh, to grow together and encourage one another in our faith to be strong and stronger than we have been in our past. We ask, Lord God, that you would bless us and guide us and guard us and lead us and direct us in all things. And grant to us, Lord God, not only the witness that we have with each other, but grant to us a faith that remains true to you. In Jesus' holy name we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. All right, so... Satan's uh, uh, working. Uh, remember, First Peter was basically about persecution. It's the physical stuff. Now, Second Peter is about the spiritual stuff. So it's just like Revelation 13. Satan came at them in a, in a physical way. With, you know, he gave Rome all of his authority. He gave Rome all of his power. And so they physically uh, dealt with, he physically dealt with uh, the difficulties and struggles and persecutions upon the church. And when that didn't work, he came spiritually. Or you might say he came in waves. He came physically and then he came spiritually. Here he does the same thing. He comes physically. He comes spiritually. So in Second Peter chapter um, 1, Peter keeps emphasizing what you know, what you know, your knowledge, the divine knowledge, what God's granted you. You know, don't, don't begin to doubt what you believe and know to be true. You know this is true. Yes, the persecution is strong and life is difficult and it's hard, but that doesn't change truth, right? And so that's his argument. He's talking about the divine nature and etc. In verse 16, I just want to grab that, just this thought here. He says, we, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty we we saw this you saw this right and he refers in particular uh, a little later in that verse about the transfiguration of jesus on the mount um where you know he saw elijah and moses and jesus and they were talking and the father said down if you will at verse uh, 17 but when we he when he received uh, honor and glory from god the father such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And he goes on to say, we heard him say that. We heard heaven, the heavens. We heard the father speak. And we saw it. And we're, I, we, you cannot take away truth. You cannot take away what we know. And so he's emphasizing in chapter one, you know this, you know this, right? You You've experienced this. Don't forget it. Now, we got a problem. And the problem is 
Again, Satan came physically, and now Satan is coming spiritually, and he's going to introduce false prophets, right? So he ends chapter 1 with no prophecy no matter one's own interpretation, right? That it comes from God. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, just like, just like in the Old Testament, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, or bought them, excuse me, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. What, what is the, um, the MO, you know, the, what is a false teacher desire you know so we could think of false teachers one some may be a false teacher and just not know it meaning they they think they have a good understanding of the scriptures and and you know like apollos apollos did a wonderful job in teaching he was not a false teacher but when he came to salvation he only he was only acquainted with the baptism of john so aquila and priscilla pulled him aside and taught him more accurately things of the truth and so that was something that wasn't done intentionally, um, but it wasn't inaccurate teaching. Okay. Um, then there are some, Philippians 1, Paul talks about uh, people who just, they just want to bring, wreak havoc on the church in that they were preaching against the teaching of Paul, right? And he says they, they, these people are, are trying to cause problems, but, you know, you, you hold true. And then they're the ones who are malicious, Right? And their fault, their, their intent is destruction. They know what they're doing, and they're doing it intentionally. Now, uh, in Second Peter chapter 2, it seems that these false prophets are more malicious in what they're doing. They're specifically in this world of Gnosticism. We talked about that last week, and a little bit of docetism. And the, this, this idea of knowledge and spirit world, they're secretly, so it's intentional, introducing false teaching. And um, as you're, we're reading through the New Testament, we'll find that they struggle with false teaching. You know, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and say about 30 years removed or so, these false teachings are coming in. And uh, you think about the number of teachings in the world in their day. The uh, Mars Hill, what, it had like 3,000 different gods on top of the hill. So you can imagine the confusion in their day. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? You know, and Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. He goes, well, what is truth, right? Everyone has their own truth. And now you have these, um, these, these individuals who are coming in, and they are, in verse 1, secretly introducing um, destructive heresies and even denying Jesus, right? Wow. And they're, where are they? Are they like at the park talking about the Bible? <laughs> no, they're, they're at worship. Right? They're, they're in their love feast. They're, they're together, is my point, as a body of believers. And, and someone, I don't know how the, maybe what the uh, protocol was in that day, but someone might stand up and then begin to say something that's not true. And then, you know, when, when, when people maybe uh, are doubting themselves, doubting their faith, or whatever it may be, or just, or they've been deceived, they start going, you know, that's a pretty, it's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. You know, and then, they start thinking about things in a different way. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it misleads you, then it's, it's a problem, right? It's a huge problem. 
And so we have to be very careful of, of how we uh, teach uh, the Bible. Interesting. As they're secretly introducing these, these heresies, these, um, these false doctrines, these ideas, the Nicolaitans, God says, I hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans. God said that, Revelation, he says that. He says, I hate their teaching. He says, you, you hate them just like me. That, that's great. You know, they, when they introduce these, these they're being cunning. Um, do we have any, any kind of cunning dogma, doctrine, ideas? infiltrating the church. Not that anyone in here is teaching it, but what are they trying to bring in to make us feel horrible in our belief system, in our faith, in our confidence, in our trust with God? What are, what are we to the world? We're the into- intolerant people, right? You people are intolerant. You people, you, you people who say you're full of love, you're intolerant. You people need to learn to be like us. They malign us, right? They, they slander us as being people who are not full of love. And so then the elephant in the room is, well, you know, we, got, we have all kinds of elephants in the room. And, and so when, when we think about how do we stand against such um, false teachings, and I mean, there's a lot of them. You know, they're big ones, right? The whole LGBTQ, that whole movement, that whole that whole thing. And we, we sometimes are drawn in to, well, we have to, don't be insensitive. We know that as, as God's people. But, you know, are we supposed to be tolerant in the sense that we condone that kind of lifestyle? No, right? We don't condone it. Now, are we kind and gentle? Of course. Are we loving? Of course we're loving. And are we compassionate? Yes. And do we, we want the opportunity to teach? Yes, we do. We want to teach it in a godly way as Jesus would teach it or as the apostles would teach uh, against these things. But to tolerate it and say, well, you know, we just need to understand better or have a more uh, God a better godly attitude a godly attitude toward this, towards this and so so how do we deal with that you know so we we come up with cliches we come up with with thoughts that we can use you know and how to how to deal with these things and but but the reality is that the best way to deal with a subject is just deal with it right with kindness and gentleness and love but you got to deal with it right and so what what happens is secretly secretly, destructively, the, the teachings of, of disunity, you know, come into play in the body of Christ, right? And, and even, if you will, in the world of Christendom. Every, everyone's trying to figure out how to deal with this. All of the religious bodies, if you will, are trying to figure out how to deal with this, you know. And there are some who are just saying, well, we're just going to, you know, well, that's probably, not, that's probably not what Jesus wants us to do. But we have to make a stand. And society has always had to make a stand against false doctrine and this kind of teaching. And this isn't new, right? This is not. These kinds of issues, we ought not treat them as if they're new. They're not new. Go back to Genesis. I mean, right? This whole issue has gone on for life. Just 
how are we going to live? All it is is sex, and we got sex sins we're dealing with. All right, well, let's deal with them all equally the same, right? They're all sex sins. That's all they are. Uh, we have immorality. That's just like it was in Rome. Rome also had the sex sins as well. And so the church was dealing then with the same stuff we're dealing with today. It's not different. But what was unique about the church in the first century is that all it did was fuel their fire to continue to teach Jesus to a lost and dying world, right? Because that's not the only sin, right? It's not just sex sin, it's also lying, right? I mean, so we got to treat them all the same. And if we learn to do that, we'll, we'll be more like the early church where they treated all sin the same and said, look, we've got to deal with all of this stuff. And Peter's going to give a whole list of a bunch of stuff that has been dealt with through the ages in the world of religion uh, and God's, God's people. So, Satan likes to twist things, right? And so instead of us, the church, God's people, the apostles, instead of, instead of them, us, being the people that represent love and truth and integrity and honesty and morality, Satan switches it and says, no, Going back to their day, no, Rome, they're the teachers of morality and et cetera, et cetera. And today we might say Hollywood is our teacher of morality and all those things, right? And when he does, he switches it, flips it. And in verse uh, 2, many will follow the sensuality, their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be slandered or, or maligned. So then there's this twist where, well, that feeling of, of, you know, maybe that uncomfortable feeling of, well, am I doing the right thing? Am I standing in the right way? Is this truly still the only way? Isn't there another way? Maybe there is another way. And we begin to doubt what we know to be true. And so Second Peter is all about what you know, what you know, what you know, God's divine knowledge, what you've known. Remember, I'm reminding you. I'm reminding you of what? Of what you already know. Not something new, but what you already know. And so it's important that we review and remember and remind ourselves of what we already know. To be true. And then Paul, uh, Peter says, this isn't something um, that was done secretly. We are eyewitnesses. You were there. You know. And we've watched life. We've watched it. Um, we've watched the evolution of life, haven't we? We've watched. We've seen how things have been changing over time. We're witnessing an amazing transformation of humanity, and knowledge is is still key. But that knowledge is being challenged now in a way to where we're saying, "Well, um, is God wrong?" Because God has some really, really strict rules. Is God? wrong and we know the answer has to be of course not right you see you know right but in, but in the world it's kind of like well i mean not, we're not saying god's wrong but we we need to think differently but you know no I, I don't i don't think so you have to hold on to what you know to be true and what you know to be right and even though we're the, we're the minority in this we continue to the whole fast. So let's take we're going to right back to the picture that Peter's giving them in their day. 
in verse 3. And in their greed, now we have another motive, right? It's their greed. So it could be money. And it could be just the idea of, you know, it's kind of in your face, right? right? It's, okay. In their greed, uh, they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then he goes in and says, let me remind you of some things that are true, that you know to be true. And they're still true to this day. And it's the hard stuff, right? For if God, verse, verse 4, did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Now, hold on one second. Okay, hate speech. Can we talk about hell, church? Well, not according to the world. That's hate speech. You know, he says, wait a minute. Remember from the, from, from the long time ago when angels, you know, did not hold fast their position, if you will. Their, uh, they try to take glory from God and honor from God. When they, when they sin, here's the big word, when they sin, God did not spare them. What? Didn't he give them a second chance? You know, wasn't there a second? Well, yeah, because the world today says, no, God's a God of second chances. Yeah, well, he is. We know that. God will continue to forgive you as long as you're alive. But in our world today, what's, what's the latest? Maybe it's not late. It's an old doctrine. What is it? You can die and go to hell and they'll pay for you to get out. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> so he says, look, when these false teachers come in and they tell you that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, because you, know, you can't, can't kill God. And we give you this special knowledge, this super knowledge that we have. Peter says, don't, don't follow them. Don't listen to them when they tell you that, oh, yeah, well, you know, God appeared to me, and this is what God had to say. No, watch out for false prophets, right? No prophecies of interpretation of one's. It's not one's own interpretation. It's something that, okay. So God sent the devil to hell and his angels. Okay, that's scary, right? So is hell real? Well, the Bible sure seems to say so. And, and Peter's telling us that this is stuff that he got from God, right? So by way of inspiration, this is not hate speech. This is still true, right? So he reminds them, don't forget this when you're dealing with these, these heresies and these heretics and these, these people that are persecuting you. Don't forget. Point number one. And he goes, oh, and he goes further. This is the hard stuff, right? Verse 5, he says, And he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the un... Wait a minute, what did God do to the ungodly? He killed them, all of them, the whole world, except for eight people. Well, God's mean. God's righteous. God is just. Is God still righteous? Is God still just? Yeah, right? So, so God's, his point is going to be, what do you think God's going to do to these people who are teaching wickedness, ungodliness, false doctrine, who are maligning you? The same thing is scary. It's really a scary text. And then Jude, when we get to Jude, he's going to pick up on the same thing. They're in your love feast trying to mislead you and draw you away from Christ, draw you away from God. He says, listen, I need you to remember what you know. Were there really, truly, Eight souls in a big old boat, an ark, where God closed the doors and brought floodwaters upon the world and destroyed is a nice word, and destroyed and killed not only the 
the people, but the animals too, except what was inside the ark. Yeah, he did. What about the church? Will he do the same thing again a second time for those outside of the church? Yeah, right? First Thessalonians, what did Paul say? You know, for those who know not the gospel and those who do not obey, right? It's just scary stuff. So, so how are we supposed to view then this idea of this false teaching that comes into the church? You hold on to Christ no matter what, right? You just, you have to hold on to Christ. You may feel like the minority, but you have to hold on to what you know to be true. Back to verse 1. What you know, what you know, your knowledge, divine knowledge. I'm reminding you of what you know. We know this. Right? Then he goes on. Verse 6. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. He says, I gave you an example. If, if the ark didn't get you, right? Here's another example. God is not, if you will, going to change. So, okay, I get it. I, okay, I shouldn't go to the temple of Diana, right? Because I'm a Christian. Not, well, you can go there, you, you know, you because your body may be there, but your mind is not. Not, No, you don't go there. You don't live in sin, right? Sex sin. Don't do that. Remember. Remember what you know. And this is still true today. What we know to be true. What it, what it does is it, I think, it spurs our mind, encourages us to evangelize, right? Because of the seriousness of sin. Remember, the big word was sin. Angels who sin. He started out with that. These sinners who are living uh, ungodly lives. Verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. So it wasn't, I mean, Lot. I mean, I, I like to say that, um, you know, personally, I really don't care how people live their lives. It's up to them. But if I'm going to be a man of God, I have to have a stand. I have to have a moral stance, right? So my morality comes because of God, not because of, not because of me. This is what God says. So I, I want to be like God and think like God. Therefore, this is my stand on morality. This is the way I feel, if you will, to understand morality to be true in the sense of what God says. And the Bible says that Lot had that, that even greater sense of understanding because Lot, it says, Needed to be rescued. Do I need to be rescued? Do I feel like, you know, do I, you know, I'm not really there yet. Do I have to be rescued? But Lot was a righteous man, and Lot needed to be rescued. Because what he saw and what he heard, these un, these, the sensuality, the, the, you know, the oppression that he felt in verse 8, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Now, now, granted, Lot lived right in the middle of it all, didn't he? Remember, he looked over and he saw this lush land, and he chose Sodom through you know, the, the disagreement, if you will, uh, that he, the herdsmen had, that he had, and also Abram's herds, herdsmen. And so they split up, and he looked over there. And, and remember that Sodom and Gomorrah, they weren't destroyed just because of 
the, the sexuality, homosexuality and lesbianism and all those. It wasn't just because of that. It was also, Ezekiel tells us, because they had a lush land and they wouldn't share, you know, with the world. They needed to give food and they wouldn't give their food. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give aid. It was also that. It was, so it wasn't just that one. Just like today, it's not that we're dealing with just one. We've got lots of issues that we're dealing with, even some of our own personal ones, right? We won't talk about those, though, will we? Right? So we have to look at self as well, right? We think about this. So am I, am I that man that is because of the, um, the, the wickedness of the world, because of what the Bible says Lot for he, what he saw and what he heard, that, that his righteous soul was being tormented? Well, how many of us are there yet? Right? So I guess I am tolerant in, in a certain sense, right? I mean, there are some things that bother me more than other things, but it doesn't say that about righteous Lot. Righteous Lot was tormented every day by what he saw and what he heard. Hmm. We got some growth to do. How about you? Grow a little bit. Because it doesn't torment me. Right? Because, well, you know, I don't know. But righteous Lot, he didn't just it didn't just torment him. But he, verse, verse 8, he felt his righteous soul tormented. It wasn't just torment. It was every day. He was tormented every day by their lawless deeds. Now, what would we have told righteous Lot in our day? You know, you're so judgmental. We would have, right, we would have turned it really. You're so judgmental. You just, you look at people like that. Not everyone's where you are a lot. Righteous Lot, you're so judgmental. You ought to change to be more like us. And then Lot would have felt more persecution. But no, the Bible says that that man thought like God and felt what God felt. Good place to be. These are examples. Peter's saying, look, when, when this false teaching comes in, you need to remember what you know. Remember what you know. The next verse he says. But just as righteous Lot, right, was tormented and struggled through his difficulty of what he saw and heard. Um, if, if you, church, speaking now Peter, speaking to the church. Remember, these are the scattered aliens uh, dealing with Roman, the Romans. And just, well, I mean, what, what, a, what an amazing... Um, Government, when it comes to wickedness, they were just, I always I often say to people, well, I think you could just, there's a lot of, you know, you look at Nero and you, you find a great, you know, there's immorality in all the, the, the rulers. And you find a great uh, amount of persecution. And you look at, later at Domitian and you find this great persecution. But well, you, you go backwards to Caliglia. Wow, he was really off. He was really, I mean, he was just not there. You know, you go, wow. And these are the leaders. And we're concerned about our leaders. Uh, well, look. God says, if you can find a way to, to be like him, he'll rescue you too. But you have to first feel like you need to be rescued. Right? That's, maybe that's the problem. Do I need to be rescued? How do you feel about that? in your righteousness, in the life in which you live. And if you are there, 
then the Lord, verse 9 it says, knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So there's this interesting perspective of life. You don't have to worry about the ungodly and the way they live. You live for Jesus and accept your persecution and thank God for it and glorify His name and be different and be counted and God will rescue you just like He rescued righteous Lot. And you go, whoa, God. Yeah, but He had to leave. He had to run for His life. Well, He didn't say how He was going to do it. He just said He did it and then He would do it. So am, am I, are we at the point to where we can honestly take a look at, at the world um, if we first look to ourselves, right? Make our own transformation. We can look to the world and say, this is a very wicked, and evil, and ungodly world. And I am, I am now having this issue with the evil, I, would like, I always like to say, in my life first. But what's kind of going on and what we're doing to Jesus, what we're doing to God, what we're doing to the church, what the, the persecution the church is going through, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to live for Jesus. And, I, and I'm being tormented now. My soul is tormented every time I you know, go outside of my household. I need to be rescued. How many Christians get to that point? It's just a question. It's just a personal question for you to think about and ponder in your relationship with the Lord. Should we be at that point? Should we ever feel like we need to be rescued because the world is so evil or so wicked? Should we ever feel that way? Or are we these judgmental, hypocritical people that the world claims us to be? Right? What was Lot? Lot, you think you're perfect, Lot. You think you're better than everybody else. You think you're righteous. You're tormented? Well, we're sickened by your intolerance, right, etc. It's a tough time, huh? Think about that, being in the church. Then, and then the next step, remember, still, there's still the persecution. So here you're dealing with all this knowledge of what you know to be true, and Peter's reminding them of what they know to be true, but then the Romans can still come knock on your door and, and, and take you to execution, right? At any, at any moment, at any given opportunity. All this creeps into the church. Remember, all of this stuff is secretly introduced and it challenges the very basic understanding of what the Bible says. It just challenges it. So we're not supposed to allow that in, right? We don't allow that in. We have to deal with that, don't we, church? Right? When we see, when we hear false doctrine creeping into the church, right? We've got to deal with it, right? Maybe we, we sit down and we, and we, first the Bible says we individually study with the individual, talk to the individual, and then if it, you know, goes nowhere, then we bring in some help, and then that doesn't work, we bring it before the church. Does that still exist? Yeah, because it's still false doctrine. Because Satan is still working the same way, right? So, He's reminding them and reminding them and reminding them. And then he gets very specific. And he says in, uh, where are we, verse 10? Talking about judgment, the day of judgment being reserved for the day of judgment, especially and especially 
those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Nothing in the spirit world bothers them. Nothing, right? They indulge in the flesh. And they're trying to get the church, come on. You know, what, what's, the, what's the name of the game, church? You know, money and sex, right? Come on and join us, right? That's, that was their day too, right? But it, it's, wait, that sounds like the history of humanity, right? Money and sex, right? It's all about money and sex. It's all about pleasure and sex. And Satan hasn't changed. He just kind of knows how we think without God. Right? And even when we come to God, what we have to get rid of in our minds, these people not only indulge in the flesh, but they have these, these corrupt desires. And these people, they don't care about authority. Right? They don't care about, not even angelic authority. Now, back in those days, right? Wow. Right? Angelic. Back in those days, the inspired apostles, inspired, right? You know, God, they walked with Jesus. Peter's like, we walk with, we are the apostles, we are the chosen. They didn't care. Who cares? Who cares about those guys? We don't care about them. We just know what we want. We want what we want. And we're going to do what we want to do. And we want to bring as many of you as lo- along with us that we can. Into evil and corruption. And this is going on right like in our Sunday morning assembly or Wednesday, or whenever we're together, eating a potluck or wherever it is, it's right here in our midst. And see, don't, but don't, don't, but don't tell anyone about this. Don't, you know, because it's secret. They're introducing it secretly. Then he starts talking about angels. And he says, verse eleven: Whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So there's something about this level of, uh, of amazing respect, right? And this relationship with, you know, even angels have this amazing respect. Now, Jude's going to tell us, you know, there was this argument between, you know, Satan was arguing about the body of Moses, right? And the angels didn't bring a reviling accusation. You know, it's kind of, something's going to lead to God, right? But he's real personal. And he says these, these people, um, he likens them to unreasoning animals. And you know, animals don't have a soul. We don't, you know, sometimes people kind of get upset when you say that, but it's, it's true, right? The spirit, they're alive, but they don't have a soul. They're not, you know, and a dog's not, not going to be condemned by God for biting the mailman. You know, right? They don't, they don't have souls. And, and Peter says, but these, verse 12, these men, these men and women, these people, are like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reveling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering, wrong, as the wages of doing wrong, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. 
So there's no shame, is there? Right? There's no shame to this. This is, so this, this is in broad daylight. Right? This is, we would say today, this is on TV. Right? This is in our faces. This is, this is, again, this is in the church. It's in the church. It's in the world. And it's, and it's not something you have to be ashamed of. You, you remember there are two things that are important. Um, our, our desires and, you know, money, if you will, fame, fortune, and our desires. Love and sex, if you will, money and sex. That's important, church. Don't forget that. These folks are willing to show you that in the daytime. Right? It's not in the dark. It's not in a secret place anymore. Right? And, and he goes on to say in, in the text, um, they are stains, verse 13, and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse. And again, that's the important part. They're with you. They're in our midst. And someone once said, well, I don't see that, that, that kind of people around us. And maybe that's because I might be that people <laughs> or that person, right? Maybe. I mean, I don't know, right? He has a group of, of um, people uh, in a room. So do, we all, do we all struggle with, um, with lying? You know, little white lies, you know, huge lies, whatever. Do we? Not, not that we, I'm not saying we're perfect, but we all, we all struggle with that. You ever, ever told a lie? And then everyone in the room raised their hand. Yeah, you know. And the one that doesn't, well, we know what they struggle with. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So they're in the midst. They're right. They're in, they're in the midst of, of the people. They're in the midst of their, as Jude will say later, in their potlucks and their fellowshipping. And they're just, you know, and then we all learn to, um, what is that, that cliche or that thought, that saying? We all learn to go along, to get along, or get along, to go along, right? And so we just, we just find a way to, to get along, even though, you know, this is, this is what's going on here, and this is what's going on there. No, church, we have to make a stand, right? If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. But then we're the bad people, though, right? Who wants to be the bad person? No one. Don't make me the bad guy, right? That's Satan's way of reversing truth, right? Inaccuracy, and what we know to be true, and Reminding us of what we know is true. So it goes on. Um, they carouse with you. Verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery. And they never cease from sin. I mean, they're not even trying. Right? So here's the question. Maybe, you know, is sin still sin? <laughs> right? It's, or is sin different now? Maybe sin isn't the same. Maybe what was a sin then isn't a sin today. Like, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, that was the mean God. You ever heard that before? The, the mean gods in the Old Testament and the nice gods in the New Testament. You know, so in the Old Testament, the mean God would condemn you for doing these kinds of things. But the new God, Jesus, he doesn't condemn us for anything. That's the teaching, right? It's the same God in the Old Testament as there is in the New Testament, right? God's being patient and, and desiring that, that we change. And the, and the Bible tells us for our own encouragement that, that the field is white for harvest. It's not, it's not an issue of whether we can uh, get Bible studies. It's will we go out and try to get Bible studies, right? I mean, it's more challenging, but the, the workers are few, right? Not the, not the open doors. It's the workers that are, that's us, that, that are few. So, so here they are in, in our midst, and they're having, you know, again, eyes full of adultery, verse 14, and they never cease from sin, enticing... It's even scarier. Unstable souls, having heart training, greed, 
accursed children. I'll come to the next part in a second. So they're looking to see who, the you know, like like an, uh, an animal, right? A lion. Um, you know, they go out and they see all animals, right? Um, a prey, prey animals. They look and they seek out their prey. And they see this herd of buffalo. And they see the strong ones. They don't go after those. They look for the unstable ones. They look for the weaknesses. And they go after the weaker one. Because obviously they have a better chance with the weaker animal than they will ever with the strong animal. So they look out in the church and they look for those who are vulnerable and those who are unstable and they go after them. Right? Sad. Forsaking the right way. And he gives us another example. We've gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received his rebuke from where? He tells you. From a donkey. Right? From an animal. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression for um, a dumb donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. And it's a wonderful account when you read it because you go, wait a minute. That donkey just talked. <laughs> he just spoke to him. And, he, and then Balaam just talked back. He didn't stop and go, whoa, wait. That just showed you how we can be so blind sometimes, right? He was really, you know, greedy and going after this um, following Balak and and wanting to do, to gain prestige, if you will, et cetera, et cetera. Go back and read Numbers and you'll read that. But, you know, sometimes we can be so indecisive um, in the sense of, of, you know, doing the right thing and so focused on being accepted or whatever it may be that we miss God's um, points and perspectives and things he's showing us, right? Uh, the donkey, the, the donkey talk. That in itself, you don't argue with the donkey, I don't think, right? unless there's something wrong, right? I get it. Okay, he was so, and sometimes that's what we do. We argue with stuff we shouldn't be arguing. We argue with the wrong people. Go home and argue with my wife. What are you arguing about? I don't know. Just, you know, we got to be careful in this. How, you know, Satan is trying to destroy us and just and twist our minds. And so here's a twisted mind. And he's showing us. Look at how twisted this man is. And then he talks about the people that come to your potluck. What, what can they really produce for you? What can they bring you? They can't bring you anything. Right? There are uh, springs. Verse 17. There are springs without water. A mist driven by a storm. For whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Someone's like, how can a slave grant you freedom? He can't. Well, the world, church, are slaves of Satan, and Christians are slaves of Christ. The difference is, we're free slaves. The world, they're not. They can't offer us freedom. They're not free themselves. And then he gives us this final description of verse, let me just read it because I want to read it. It's really important. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it will be better for them not to have known the way of right, what? To never have known God? Yes, listen to what it says. 
For it will be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has, been, uh, it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and his sour the washing returns to wallowing in the mire. That's what it's like to leave God, to know God, and then leave God is just as sick as when you watch your dog puke and go back and lick it up right in front of your face and then come and offer you a kiss. <laughs> no, no thanks. Go brush your teeth first. Right? That's how sick it is. That's how God views this whole thing. To know God, back to knowledge, and then to leave God for the disgusting world is like going right back and licking up the vomit like it's no problem at all. That's the way God sees the Christians who walk away from Jesus. Wow. We have a big job, right? You know, for ourselves first, because any of us, right? Satan's after all of us. Any of us can fall away. Let's stay true to God. Let's honor him and keep him first in our lives. Thank you. I, I want to just get through chapter two because it's a very important chapter. Thank you for your um, allowing, for you allowing me to do that this morning. God bless you. We are dismissed.